We all want to make beautiful quilts and art, and the fabric is a huge part of that. But how can we bring a little bit of sustainability into our creative practice? There are businesses out there now who have sustainable practices. There are small changes we can make in our own studios. There's a trend going on to try to be scrappy and use up our stashes. Today, we'll chat about that and so much more. Welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I share the stories of inspiring quilt teachers, speakers, designers, artists, authors, and everyday quilters to share their tips, adventures, and the day-to-day life that will bring you more joy and less overwhelm in the quilting studio. Bridget O'Flaherty is an award-winning textile artist and all-around creative inspiration who specializes in thread painting. Bridget has a Bachelor of Arts with an Environmental Studies major, and she just graduated with honors. I think this is such a valuable conversation to have, and she really has her toes in the water when it comes to the topic of sustainability in quilting and everywhere. She brings the conversation forward without the guilt that we can never buy fabric again, but with the notion that we can have a good conversation about it. Bridget, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So Bridget, can you start by telling us a little bit about your textile art story? Where did it begin? I began about almost 30 years ago with my mom and as a young 20 year old I was playing around in her quilt store really she asked me if I wanted to help her out and I didn't know what to do with my life at that point so I started helping her out in the quilt store and started learning about the sort of more modern ways of quilting this was back in the days of Eleanor Burns the rotary cutter just kind of started but my mom was a hand quilter and did hand embroidery work So I kind of took on the machine side of things and started learning how to do contemporary quilts and then slowly worked my way into adding free motion embroidery into my work. And it was just because I had the exposure in the store to magazines and books on new artists that were coming out and had a chance to see what the trends forward were on quilting that I was even interested. I didn't know that I was going to be an artist. I hadn't aspired to be an artist before I started working with my mom. But as I started learning how to do all of it, it became very exciting to me to try and create things. And yeah, she really encouraged me to jump in that way. Oh, it sounds like a quilter's dream to be raised in a quilt shop. So did you find that being raised in a quilt shop that may have been a bit more traditional, were you feeling a bit rebellious going into that art scene? Oh, I, yeah, I was always rebellious. My mother wanted me to do uh, one thing and I always wanted to do a different thing. She, the first quilt that I did with her was actually a hand pieced sampler quilt and I used black as my borders and she was horrified <laughs> to use black, but I just always kind of stepped to the left when it came to uh, direction that Yeah, especially because it was with my mom, but I didn't really do quilting as a kid. Like I didn't grow up sewing. And even though my mom had the store from when I was about 15, I didn't really know what quilting was. I didn't, I thought it was for old ladies. I just didn't really have any understanding of it until I started working in my twenties when my mom moved to Perth, then she opened another store. And that's when I started working there and started seeing all this different stuff. Oh, so in your 20s, when you were working there, did you have some other kind of career and balance both? 
No, I jumped right in. I was, I was 21 and I had no path at that point. I wasn't in school. I didn't know what I, I was skiing. That's <laughs> what I was doing. And I had met my, what would turn out to be my long-term partner at the same time. And he grew up in a community that was very sort of alternative, a little bit of a hippie community. And a lot of people there were artists and they did the art world. They did craft shows and art shows and so they started seeing me doing some of my sewing and really, really encouraged me to try making a living out of it. So it was pretty early on that I sold my first quilt out of the store with my mom when I was 21. Yeah. And I thought, holy smokes, I could actually do this. This is great. And I had a lot of mentors around to help me kind of figure out how to do art and how to sell my work. So it was, yeah, I just sort of jumped right in. Yeah, that kind of answers a question that I love to ask. And that is sort of, was there that this moment where you really thought, yeah, I can do this for a career? Yeah, it was that selling of that first quilt. And, and this was a contemporary quilt. It was not a landscape at all. It was a double attic windows and very contemporary, more modern style quilting, machine pieced, machine quilted, very alternative colors, not your typical flowery palette. But then I slowly morphed into that landscape work and was much more inspired and, and excited by doing landscape work. Yeah. So I started taking a few courses with different professionals. Jean Boyd was one in this area, in the Eastern Ontario region, that I started learning how to do contemporary work with. But then I took a course with Joan Wolfram in Olds, Alberta and at Olds College for a week. And that was a pivotal life-changing workshop that I took with her and it was a week-long color theory and design course wow. and and it was incredible it was a it was a really incredible experience and well worth the time and energy invested in taking a week-long workshop oh that sounds like a dream come true and yeah. while you mentioned your area let's go there where do you live in the world and who is in your life that you surround yourself with? I live in uh, Perth, Ontario area. So it's Eastern Ontario in a little community just outside of Perth. I live on seven and a half acres in an off-grid house that I built with my partner. And we raised two boys there. And one of my boys still lives with me. And now that I've finished school, <laughs> just yeah. finished school, I am able to kind of focus a little bit more on my art and my and now I have a split between a job and my art. But at the time when I started out, I didn't. Yeah. So let's talk about that a bit. So how do you balance your career and school, which you just finished and your textile practice? It's I feel like I'm juggling a lot of balls, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> juggling a lot of balls. But to be honest, the quilting has stepped back a little bit over the last couple of years so that I could just concentrate on my education. Uh, you know, life got in the way over having kids and my aging parents and being able to finish my degree younger just wasn't a possibility for me. Yeah. And space came up in my life a few years ago and I decided to go back to school. My Both my boys were going into school at the same time. So all three of us went off to post-secondary school at the same time. Oh, that's and sweet. I just decided to finish my degree. And from my degree, then I've managed to work into a full-time job now through that degree. 
and yeah, my quilting and artwork kind of creeps into my life when I need it to. And I'm able to do the work when I want to do the work and focus on it when I want to focus on it. And yeah, I feel pretty privileged that way. So when did you start really uh, finding that you had a huge interest in sustainability and, and why did, like, why did you go into that type of schooling? Well, we built our house as an off-grid house. And so that was kind of the start of it and learning how, what, how to live in a house that's kind of a hot, what they call a high performance house. So we yeah. built efficiency into the house in a lot of ways and always had the idea that we would live off the land as much as we could, have a small footprint, have always kind of lived that way anyway, you know, wanting to, wanting to leave, leave a small mark on the world. We kind of designed our house and our lives around that. And then I went into real estate for a little while and I did what was really interesting to me was to do green real estate uh-huh. and selling to people who were interested in an alternative lifestyle or wanting to get back to the land in some way and wanting to have efficiency in their house. And that kind of morphed me into doing energy work for residential housing. And I ended up working with a company and getting trained to be an energy advisor. And so I then started teaching about and learning about sustainability and in the built environment. And part of that is also, there's a holistic idea around it as well. And there's some different programs that you can get trained up on. And one of the accreditations that I have was what's called a LEED AP. And that's in the built environment and it's an accredited professional. And LEED is a system that is more of a holistic system. So it's not just about the building itself, but it's about the materials that go into the building. It's about the air quality. It's Mm -hmm. about the environment around the building and how it's being built while it's being built. So it's about a bigger picture process, not just the energy consumption of the building. So all of that sustainability started to become really important and started to realize that that was that's an important thing for me. I like to look at the bigger picture of things that it's not just about the individual components. And then because I had taken this time off to go and do these other things in my life, when I wanted to come back to my quilting, I really wanted to bring that sustainability idea into my quilting as well. So I started researching how I could do that. Okay, so you are known for your thread painting and landscapes. What is it that makes that your thing? Oh, it's very obsessive. I find getting into the layers and details, I just, I kind of can't stop. And when I don't do thread painting, it feels incomplete. Mm -hmm. I love the landscape look, but I really like playing around with the shading and the detail. Yeah, it's a really neat part of it. And I do find it quite obsessive. I'd love to dive into your creative process a little bit. So do you take photos out in the world and then come home and recreate them? Or what's your inspirational process? Yeah, a bit of both. I have some, I have the good fortune of having people in my life who take really amazing landscape photos or, or photos of birds and, or other animals. And I usually will ask permission to use their photos as an inspiration. So the swans piece is a photo that I got use of from a friend named James Hawley. He does beautiful uh, swan landscape bird photography. Really amazing. So he let me use the original photo as my inspiration. So I generally use it as an idea. Like, obviously, I haven't reproduced his photograph because mm-hmm. it's that's not 
that doesn't look like a photograph, although people think it has photographic qualities, mm -hmm. but it's not, it's not his photo. I've done the drawing and I've done the artwork afterwards. So usually I'll take a photo and then create basically a map of what I want to do in the thread work mm -hmm. and try and figure out what kind of background I want it on. And that one, for instance, I decided to use it. I upcycled that one. I got a piece of fabric from Value Village, uh, cotton fabric, and then I did natural dyeing on it. So I did indigo and uh, rust and black walnut on it and a bunch of different things to give it that modeled look. And then I did the bird separately first on the white. I just did an applique and then put them onto the background and did the stitching of the reflection once the swans were on there. And mm -hmm. then I quilted. And so that's for a larger piece like that. I would usually use a photograph of some sort, whether it's one or two photos. Sometimes I'll work in Illustrator and bring my designs into Illustrator to get my map that way. Mm -hmm. And then I have something concrete to work with. Sometimes I'm just drawing right on the fabric yeah. and using a photo as a reference. It just depends on how big the piece is and, and what it is that I'm working on. And do um, you do your thread play on a domestic machine or on a long arm machine? I do both, but more recently, my bigger pieces are on the long arm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the swan quilt behind you, is that yeah. swans mate for life or yeah. have, okay. So that one is the CQA show win, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about that. What, what was it like? What year did you enter it? And uh, what was it like to hear? I entered it in the year of COVID. So it was in 2020 was supposed to be the show in Edmonton and okay. that show got put on hold for a full year. Mm -hmm. And then they decided to do a virtual jurying and judging. Right. So because I had already been accepted into the 2020 show, I was automatically accepted into the 2021. Mm -hmm. And then they did the jurying virtually. So yeah, and I won a third prize in the category that I entered in. Oh, that's really cool. And so how did they let you know? Did they give you a phone call? If it's No, virtual? they emailed and, they emailed. and said, congratulations, you've won. And then they had an online, they didn't tell me what I'd won. They just told oh, me that I was a winner. Nice. And then we had an online presentation of all the award winners. Oh, um, that's good. And so that's when I found out what my award was. Oh, that's so cool. You also won an award at the MQX show in New England. That's for right. Best use of thread. So tell us about that. Yeah. So that was the first show that I had entered in uh, almost 20 years. Wow. So that was a really exciting show to, to enter. It's a long landscape with an island on it. And I had done thread painting and it was one of the first big landscapes that I had done with the long arm. And so, yeah, it was pretty exciting to enter that show and then to get a, an overall show award as well. Yeah, that, It was very exciting. And again, I got the email while I was driving down. I was with a friend and we were driving down to go to the show for three days. Yeah. And I got an email on our route down saying, you've won. So oh, I didn't know what the prize was I won, but I knew I had won something. And then while I was, they were doing the presentation of award winners, was getting down to like only a few awards possible and I'm like what could it possibly like there's no way this is one a big show award what is yeah. this anyway so I was pretty excited that it actually oh, did oh my gosh it must have been such a thrill to be at the awards ceremony yeah. and actually see the quilt hanging on the wall yeah it was and then I got to go and stand by it and be really proud and people would walk <laughs> by you'd see the ribbon there and <laughs> it was very oh, so fun. and that was thrilling. called the precious moments quilt right yeah yeah. So why did moments. you name it? Why did you name it that? 
my kids and I every summer go up to a lake um, nearby here and we go camping on, on an island. And this picture, this image is of the island that you can see from our island and with backgrounds. And it just, you know, it was just really precious to be able to go and do that with my kids while they were in their teens and they still wanted to hang out with me. It was pretty awesome to be able to do that. So it just, every time I see it, it reminds me of that space. Yeah. Doing and of course, we'll have photos of the quilts that we talk about today in the Tuesday podcast preview. So you took a bit of a hiatus for a while to get educated, but how has entering shows changed for you? You know, you were in a, a less digital world when you started out. And then oh, 12 yeah. years later, when you came back to entering shows, how is it really different for you? Well, and, and so it was incredibly different. The biggest thing is social media happened from the time that I left quilting, which was around 2004, 2005, to yeah. when I came back in 2012, 2013, suddenly the internet had happened and social media had happened. And so it was a really different way of communicating and really different way of people connecting with the work that's being done. It was a huge learning curve for me to understand social media and how it might impact how people perceive quilts and how they might see things that I do. But entering the shows itself was, it's just different because the volume of work, also long arms happened in that same time frame, right? Yeah, they became really popular. Became very like people have long arms in their homes now, and yeah. that was not there when I left. The, you know, back in two thousand four or five, long arm quilting was really specialized at that point. Yeah, so it's changed the way everybody approaches doing quilts now. Quilts are done in a very different way, and the amount of work and the talent and the the creativity behind quilts is it's really blossomed in a beautiful way. And, and to me, the art quilt has really come into its own over yeah. the last 10 years. Yeah. So how did your quilting world kind of shift over the pandemic or your world in general? How did it shift over the pandemic? Well, it got very insular, <laughs> which is in some ways, like, I'm a very extroverted person. I'm pretty happy to talk to people and I like connecting with people. Yeah. Um, but I also really value just being alone and having my own space. I work by myself most of the time. Yeah. So the introvert in me was totally fine, <laughs> but the extrovert in me, I miss connecting with people. And I really enjoy a lot of what I do with my quilting is I go to quilt guilds and I give lectures and I get to meet people in person. I really enjoy being able to connect with people and talk with people because we get to talk about the stories behind the quilts. We get to talk about the stories of how I got from where I was to where I am now and the bumps along the way. And being able to do that face-to-face -face has got a lot of very... Uh, it's very emotional, can be mm -hmm. a very emotional thing. And the pandemic shifted all that to online. And for the first year, most of my gigs just were canceled. Yeah. And then people started doing these Zoom online and I was in school. So I was struggling to try and figure out how to to do that but somebody finally talked me into trying <laughs> last <laughs> I think it was last May was my first one so 2021 and uh, so yeah I just I decided to jump into it and then somebody else asked another guild asked me to do uh, teaching and doing zoom teaching online which again it's really hard for me to imagine how to teach free motion thread painting embroidery 
for somebody who has their own domestic machine and I can't help them troubleshoot their machine yeah. other than talking to them. But I decided to try it and it's actually been really, really great. One of the things it's pushed me to do is video what I'm doing. So I do prepared videos ahead of time so people can get in and see the detail of what I'm working on. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I just am available to people to talk and it seems to be working out. I actually really like it. Yeah. Okay, good. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about your workshops and the things you offer after the break, but I wanted to get into this conversation of sustainability. Are there a few Canadian businesses you'd like to mention that have really tried to have sustainable practices or products in Canada? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're difficult to find. It's one of the big challenges in Canada is finding resources and places that will actually have a, a deep sustainable ethos to them. One of the, the ones that I can think of is uh, Simplify Fabric and she does uh, organic fabrics and other materials, other sustainable materials as well. And it's an online fabric store. There's also Soak, which is, they do fabric wash and uh, spray, like a, a press spray. And that's called Flatter. And they're a Montreal company, really, really great company. And there's a bunch of different quilt stores, I think, that carry their work. And then LDH Scissors is a, it's a small scissor company in Toronto, and they have sustainable packaging with all their products. It's a family-run business, and they make great strides to try and have sustainability in their work. Oh, that's so great. And I wanted to ask you that question before we went to the break, because I wanted to surprise you because I don't think it's enough to have this conversation. Sometimes it's even hard to have the conversation, but when we do, I think it's important that we also figure out what we can do in our own worlds to make a difference. So what I wanted to do is go to those three businesses you mentioned, and I'm going to give them each a complimentary ad in my podcast. So I'm going to go out and talk to those three, and I'm going to put the ads right here in the podcast. Okay, so we're going to break to those ads right now. Well, actually, I reached out to all three companies and two of them were able to get ad copy back to me in time for the podcast. But perhaps I'll reach out to the third one again and we'll have their ad in a future episode. I just thought this would be a fun thing to do. So here we go. Today's podcast is sponsored by Soak Wash and LDH Scissors. Soak is the modern way to clean and refresh the laundry you love. The gentle, no-rinse formulation is perfect for hand or machine washing, your handmade quilts, clothes, lingerie, and more. Flatter makes ironing easier. This starch-free smoothing spray relaxes wrinkles and freshens fabrics. It's flat-out fabulous. Use it to freshen fabrics between washings or spray it on to reduce and even resist wrinkles. Soak and Flatter are made with plant-derived and renewable ingredients as gentle on the planet as they are on your fabrics. Visit SoakWash.com and check out Soak School for tips and tutorials that will have you soaking like a pro in no time. Find Soak on social at SoakWash. LDH Scissors specializes in high-quality scissors and tools at an accessible price. LDH stands for Love, dedication and happiness and has been serving the sewing community since 1990. Fast forward to 2018, their son Roy and his wife Ursula brought the company to Toronto, Canada, embracing the same love, dedication and happiness that made it all possible. Find them on Instagram at LDH underscore scissors and on the website at LDH 
And this last commercial is all about quilt destination travel. Are you ready to join me? I'm guiding a tour of quilters to the Birmingham Festival of Quilts in England in August 2022. It's coming so fast and there are a few spots left. And another tour I'm hosting is Japan in November 2022 to experience a quilt show there as well. I'm so excited to get on the road and have some fun. And I'd love to have you join me. Go to quilteronfire.com slash events or call Judy directly at Opulent Quilt Journeys at 1-877-235-3767 to find out more and book your trip today. And now we're back with Bridget O'Flaherty. You have recycled content thread in your shop and Mm -hmm. you asked a question about it on Facebook recently. So what's the name of the Facebook group and what was the question you asked? Sustainable Quilting and Textiles is the name of the Facebook group. And yeah, we have conversations on there about how you might be able to change your practices, things you might do in your quilting that can make a difference, places you can find materials or supplies, just sharing ideas and thoughts around sustainability and quilting and textiles, because it's a conversation that some people like to have, some people are very uncomfortable with it. Some people feel Mm. like it's a judgment on them. For me, it's just about trying to trying to do better. And it doesn't mean that I have to change everything that I do. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. You know, everybody has different ways of viewing what sustainability might be. And even just, you know, upcycling your jeans and using old clothes, that's an amazing way of making a difference in the amount of fabric and textiles that are in the world. There are really inherent problems with the textile industry in the amount of water that's needed for producing the products, the amount of waste that comes out of production and the amount of fossil fuels that are required to harvest materials, say for cottons Mm -hmm. and the amount of water that's required to make those, the chemicals and petrochemicals that go into fertilizing the plants, the processes around dyeing, the off-gassing and the chemicals that end up into the water stream, the microplastics that come out of all of that. Those are all really real things that happen to our planet from the textile industry. And anything that we can do as individuals is going to be better than doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And you know, I, I can understand that people might feel a bit defensive or they might think, Oh, I don't want to change everything, but you don't really have to change everything. You can learn what you're doing and make small changes. And so there was a question asked in another Facebook group. And as a result, people got their knickers in a bit of a twist. And then you opened your Facebook group to, to continue that conversation. So what was the conversation about? So a friend of mine, Corey Follette from Newfoundland, (laughs) reached out to me because he had seen these conversations happening in one of the Facebook pages. And it was somebody who just asked the question about where can you get sustainable fabrics? I think that was the question. Yeah. And there was a whole bunch of other people that got very upset thinking that that was a very politicized question. Mm. that fabrics don't have to be sustainable, that we don't need to talk about that kind of thing in Facebook land. This is where we just go to have fun and look at pretty quilts. Yeah, Fine, but it doesn't mean you can't have a conversation about where you might be able to get sustainable fabrics or sustainable materials. And so, yeah, he and I had started this group in, I think it was 2018. We'd met each other and I was doing a guest speaking 
at CQA on sustainability in quilting. And okay. there were a bunch of people came to my guest speaking event and we decided it would be a great idea to have a forum to be able to further the conversation. So yeah. we opened that group then, but we didn't really do a lot with it. Then when this other question came up just this summer, we decided to try and, you know, make ourselves a little more known again. And yeah. so we had a whole bunch more people join because of that conversation that was happening on this other Facebook page. They came over to our Facebook page and now we're starting to grow and, you know, just have some more interesting conversations. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a bit more about how to find sustainable supplies. So we don't expect people to suddenly stop buying fabric. Sustainability has a wide definition. People in the industry and in quilt shops rely on quilters to purchase. It's a yeah. complex situation and there's actually no right answer yet. Right. So what are a few little things that quilters can do to start? So simple things that people can do to change or to maybe just add to what they're doing in their quilt life, you know, they can make a reusable bag. And a lot of quilters already do that. We're, and a lot of quilters are making their own face masks. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we already do that allow us to get away from plastics and you know, one-time use things, you, reusing your scraps, like getting, as you're cutting down, save your scraps and use them again in another quilt. And again, as quilters inherently, we are already doing most of that anyway, but some of us don't, some of us don't even look at those little pieces. We chuck them out or hand them off to somebody else, which is okay too. Maybe not the chucking out part, but hand them off to somebody else. That's great. Yeah. Um, making a quilt from used fabrics. So there are a lot, like I've been surprised at when I go into Value Village, there is a whole section that has fabrics and sheets. Like there's actual fabric bags, <laughs> people's getting rid of their scraps and I get yardage there regularly. So you can just make it from used fabrics that you, or that have been used for something else and you get to then create out of it. Sourcing out organic threads or recycled threads, they're difficult to find, but there are places you can get them. And then, you know, use organic in one quilt. Mm -hmm. Use organic fabrics in one quilt that you make in a year. Maybe make a choice to start building your organic fabric stash. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just, there's lots of different ways. And there are people who will argue that organic isn't any better than cotton, regular unorganic cotton. There's arguments and discussions happening around that narrative all the time. Yeah. And there is no one right answer. And there's just a lot of research that has to happen. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your organic thread. Like how do you source it or create it and where can we go to get it? So I have in my online shop, I have recycled, it's called RPET, which is a, a polyethylene thread. So it is made out of recycled bottles, plastic bottles, and it's by Guterman. And it is a regular sewing weight thread. It sews just like a regular polyester, but it's taking those plastic bottles out of the waste stream. So I feel like that's a really good start. It is very difficult to find organic thread in Canada. I am working with a company to try and bring in some organic thread. So hopefully within the next six months, I will have an organic supply. And they are, they have two different kinds. One of them is made overseas and the other one is the, the cotton comes from the U.S. and is processed overseas and then dyed in the U.S. So okay. they're, yeah, they have some uh, local, but they are certified organics. 
So, and there are different certifications around the fabric in the textile industry. There's different certifications that you can look for on different materials and different supplies, especially around the textile part of things. So in the fabrics and threads, there's the GOTS and there's the OECOTEX certifications. There's a bunch of other ones as well. And certainly in the US, there's a whole bunch of different certifications that you can get and they're complex and, and yeah. I'm hoping to have a good list of those um, up on my website in the next little while too. Okay. So just tell us what your website is so we can go there. Yeah. It's BridgetOflaherty.com. Okay. And O'Flaherty is O-F-L-A-H-E-R-T-Y, right? Okay. And so basically what you're telling us here with these tips and everything is that the biggest thing you can do is keep the conversation open and try little things, right? So start asking for those materials at the stores you go to or, or, you know, looking for them online. So I want to tell a little story here now about a local quilt shop near my home called Poppins Quilt Parlor. And the reason I want to tell this story is because I was out hiking with some friends and I met a new friend for the first time and she found out that I'm a quilt professional. And she said, oh, can I give you some fabric? I've got loads of fabric left over because she had a furniture shop. So it's samples, of course, not generally the type of fabric you would use for quilting. But I thought, what could I possibly do with this fabric if I'm not going to put it into quilts? So I went and took it and I got a few bins full of it. And I thought maybe I could make a few things. But I went to this local quilt shop and she was delighted and she took it all. And she ended up taking two pieces of fabric that are samples for a furniture store. She She sewed them together and she used them for reusable bags for everyone that bought fabric in her store. So it's just a really nice story about how someone could take something that's going to be thrown away into a landfill and reuse it for a good purpose. So I just wanted to share that story because it was so appropriate for this show. So let's go into a little bit about your lecture. So do you have one lecture or a couple of lectures and tell us a little bit about it? So I have two lectures that I give and one of them is sort of the story about how I got started in my quilt world and what's happened over the 30 years of my quilt life. It's called My Journey. And the other one is about sustainability in the textile industry and how we can change this practice and what we can do to make our quilt life eco-friendly. And I talk a little bit more about the statistics and I talk a little bit more about what's happening in the textile industry and what kind of impacts we are having globally because there's this global climate change narrative. And it's important to understand that what we do as individuals really does actually translate out to the world. And then I talk about options that are out there as well. Yeah, it sounds like such a great conversation. So tell us a little bit about the SACWA lecture. It was an international audience and it really kind of blew up. So what happened there? Yeah, well, it was, I was supposed to be, this was right at the beginning of COVID and I was supposed to be going to Toronto to give the green quilting um, lecture down there and it ended up, everything moved to virtual. So this was really the first online lecture that I did. And it was really quite great. I can't remember if I told you the numbers, how many people were there. I think there were about 300 people on the call. And yeah, it was pretty impressive and, and got to have this really great conversation about textiles and about uh, green eco-friendly options in the textile industry. And we had a lot of conversation. There was a lot of back and forth between the different people who were attending and it was really good conversations. So let's 
talk a little bit about your workshops. What's your most popular? What's your favorite to teach? I don't know if there's a really popular one. They all seem to be about the same right now. Uh, the ones I really like to teach are, I really like doing like the masterclass where people get to design their own thread paintings and do their own work from their own ideas. But those ones are uh, not as common. And, but I do a, a thread painting, a heron and a little island with a pine tree on it. And then I have a beginner class with uh, birds, chickadees and cardinals, and they're all varying in length. And really, I think that anybody who's interested in learning how to do thread painting can do any of those levels, but you have to want to do it. <laughs> yeah. And you have thread painting patterns for workshops available, right? So what is thread painting by number? So the thread painting by numbers are, are patterns that I came up with to try and take the design ideas away from people. So they don't have to learn, know how to design and they don't have to do color theory. I just tell them which color to put where. Yeah. And so color one goes over here and color two goes over here. So it's kind of giving people that simplifying the process so that take, they don't have to be nervous about designing and color theory. It's all done for them. And more recently, what I've added to my patterns and workshops is a pre-printed panel that has the design printed on it that people mm -hmm. then thread paint. And it comes with a kit of thread. So the whole thing comes together. Oh, nice. How have you made those patterns a little more sustainable? They are all printed on FSC certified paper and any paper patterns are into recycled pattern envelopes. And I don't use plastic. I don't wrap anything in plastic. The only time there is any plastic, it looks like plastic, but it's actually a cellulose. So it's biodegradable. Oh, okay. So, and you also have a bunch of products that you love and use the most for sale on your website. So tell us about some of the other products you have. Yeah, I've got thread and yeah. then I have hoops that I use. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to find a sustainable option around hoops yet. Yeah. And I also have the stabilizer that I use and it's a paper stabilizer. So okay. it does come in plastic, unfortunately, but I'm working on trying to get the manufacturers to move away from the plastics and move to more sustainable packaging options. But until people start demanding it, it's going to take a while for it to happen. Yeah. And you also have artwork for sale on your website. And so yeah. what kind of gallery do you have there? What will people find? A lot of what they'll find is actually, I make these little thread paintings on, on wool and it's a felted wool. And I get the wool from my neighbor across the road who raises sheep. And then I wash it and I cart it and I... Uh, felt it into backgrounds or like I make my own batting basically. Yeah. And then I embroider onto those. So mm -hmm. I have my embroideries on those little felted pieces and they are on mounted on boards and they look quite lovely. They're little art pieces. So those are mostly what you'll find in terms of the finished art. There are a few of my bigger pieces on there as well. Okay. And all the patterns and everything we just talked about yep. are all available at BridgetOflaherty.com. Yep. And you can get a paper or you can get a PDF pattern and that actually saves the paper, the printing and the shipping. And because this is such an important conversation, we don't want you to just listen and hear what we have to say. If you're listening today and you know of other companies, please send me an email at brandy at quilteronfire.com. And I'll try to make mention of those companies in future episodes. So, okay. And Bridget, you're trying to create a directory on your website, right? So you yep. can always connect with Bridget too, if you know a sustainable company. Absolutely. Okay. 
Okay. And I always love to ask this question of every guest, but <laughs> tell us about your studio. I have a little studio on my property that I've had here for uh, 25 years. And it is an old school portable. It's a little rough around the edges, but it <laughs> it's fine. It's a little 12 by 24 space. And it uh, it's not quite big enough. I'd like to have a bigger space, of course but it's, it's mine and I get to have all my stuff in it and I can, I have my cutting table and my sewing machine and some nice light out into the yard and I get to walk out today. I walked out my door and I scared a grouse out of the apple tree. So now I get Aww. to see nature right outside my door. It's quite lovely. Oh, that's great. And uh, everyone who's listening knows I have the luxury of a discovery call with you before this podcast. So you talked about some of the highlights in your quilting journey. So let's start with uh, Quilts of Canada, Mississippi Textile Museum. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. So that was back in my 20s when I was young and bold and decided that I could definitely pull off a solo show in a major art gallery <laughs> and called the art gallery, the Mississippi Valley Textile Museum and told them they should absolutely have me in there. And they hadn't done a lot of big shows at that point, And they didn't really have the infrastructure in place for big shows. And they said, we've got this wall space, but there's no, no lighting. And I said, that's okay. I'll bring the lighting. And uh, they said, they <laughs> said, well, you know, we haven't really finished the walls and everything. And I was like, that's not right. When will you be done? It'll be fine. And so we just basically every objection they sent, I, they, they ran out of reasons to say no. So they, they agreed to let me come and do this big show. And so then I had 70 running feet of wall space that I had to fill. Wow. And I decided, okay, I can do big quilts. I need a theme. What could I do? And then I said, oh, I'll do quilts of Canada. So I did one for each province and territory wow. and they're big. They're three feet by five feet um, on average. And they're all landscapes of across Canada. And I sold every one of them. Wow. Very oh, that's exciting. So great. And did you sell them in the US? No, no. Most of them sold here. Yeah. And one of them actually ended up at the University of Alberta in their national gallery there. And it hangs in the president's office at the University of Alberta. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, okay. And tell us and tell us about the Canadian Geographic Society. What what happened there? Well, out of that show from the Canada Quilts show, somebody who had been there and bought one of the, or wanted to buy one of the pieces was part of the Canadian Geographic Society. And they thought it would be really great to have that show as a backdrop to their annual dinner where they have a guest speaker come in and do a presentation. Wow. And so it was at the museum in Ottawa, the Museum of Nature, and it's got this great big turret and my quilts were displayed around the whole room. And I got to go to the dinner and it was very, very exciting. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And out of it came some kind of calendar deal. Cal yeah. So that. yeah, they, this quilt show that I did, there's a quilt company that was out of Carlton Place at the time and they saw the show and decided that they should there were 13 quilts that's perfect for a calendar so oh. they ran a calendar of it and I actually had 17 years of calendars with that company and whoa yeah I did more quilts afterwards and ended up I think in total I had 58 quilts go through their calendar so wow. yeah so after all the learning in your recent education and the environmental thesis and everything happening in your world, are you still finding the time to create? Yes, a little <laughs> bit. I've been doing more on the drawing side and more on the ideas side. 
And now like I, I literally finished my degree uh, three weeks ago. So wow. I'm still, still playing a little bit of catch up behind that. And yeah, I'm starting to plan out what my next big quilt is going to be and what show I'm going to want to enter and where I'm going to go with it. Yeah, oh, that's it's exciting. Coming. Well, and that leads into it's our exciting. next question. I always love to ask what's on your design wall right now. I know you have a Libs Elliot quilt on your frame behind yeah. you, but what kind of an idea are you thinking of moving into next? Because is, is it a secret or can you tell us what you're thinking of doing? It'll be something probably on the landscape side of things, but I'm actually really kind of playing around with the idea of some abstracts the right word but interpretive design in the landscape that's connecting me to my Irish roots and some Celtic flavor in the landscape so I'm not sure what that's going to look like yet I can't wait to see how that unfolds yeah okay so now we are going to move into the lightning round robin so this is a rapid fire series of questions where we just have some fun so are you ready okay sure <laughs> okay what is your favorite notion my favorite notion, I guess thread would be my favorite notion. I have a lot of thread. Okay. Who has been a creative inspiration in your life? Creative inspiration. I would, I would say Joan Wolfram has been huge. And I had the, the absolute privilege of meeting her in the spring of 2019. I was out in Seattle and I, I sent her an email and said, can we have lunch? Oh, and she nice. said, yes. So that, that was after you took a course with her, right? It was 30 years after I'd taken a course. With wow. Her. Oh, yeah. that's so great. Yeah. It was okay. really exciting. Okay. And what is your favorite thing to do besides textile art? I like walking and hiking. Hmm. Yeah. I like being out in nature and, and just being able to kind of take that in. I, I feel like I need it to, oh. to regroup and to, to just, yeah, to, to know my place on the planet. Yeah. I just need to walk in nature. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so good. That sounds right up my alley, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what color do you choose most often in your work? I would say shades of blue. Yeah. How do your private commissions shape your work? The private commissions are really cool. They challenge me to do things that I never would have thought of doing on my own. So it's, it's kind of, a, I like the challenge of a commission because it just stretches my imagination and stretches my creativity to, to kind of incorporate these other ideas of what people have mm -hmm. and what they want. Okay. What is your favorite sustainable thing to do? I would say that uh, washing the wool that I get from my neighbor across the road that I actually love the smell and the feel of that. And then, yeah, harvesting wildflowers, going out into when I'm out on my walks, looking for plants that can work for, for natural dyes. Okay. And is there something about you that quilters wouldn't generally know? Yeah. I used right. to be an Irish dancer. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> did you have a full costume in the whole I show? Did. I did. Beautiful oh. costumes. Yeah. Beautiful costumes that my mom made. They're hand embroidered. And yeah, I, I danced until I was 18 and I danced in the world championships. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> cool. Cool. Okay. So I've mentioned your website, BridgetOflaherty.com, where we can see everything you have to offer, but where's the best place for quilters to engage with you on social media? I'm on Instagram and I'm also on Facebook. And so, yeah, that would be, I would say the best place to engage with me. I also have a YouTube channel and it's all just with my name, Bridget O'Flaherty. I'm pretty easy to find online. Okay. And what kind of things would we see on your YouTube channel? 
you see me washing wool and felting and <laughs> doing free motion embroidery and tutorials, uh, quick tips, and just sort of watching me in my studio is mostly okay. what is on there. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. And of course you have the Facebook group we talked about earlier. Yep. So can you say the name of that Facebook group again, in case people want to look it up? Yeah. It's sustainable quilting and textiles. And uh, it's got some green leaves as one of the pictures you'll see. Okay. <laughs> and one of my favorite questions that I ask every guest is what brings you joy? What brings me joy? There's a lot of things. <laughs> That's okay. You could say yeah. a lot of things. Yeah, there are a lot of things. What brings me joy? Uh, just just waking up in my house when it's warm and cozy and my son is there and we have a cup of coffee together in the morning. That's pretty wonderful. Aww. And yeah, my kids, both my kids bring me a lot of joy. And uh, just people. People I yeah. think are really good, generally inherently good and I enjoy that interaction with people. Yeah, that sounds so great. Okay, I'm going to outline the contest giveaway now. And we have such a great prize today. So you mentioned earlier that you were going to give a little thread kit away. So do you want to describe okay. that to me? Yeah, it is a collection of the Guterman Recycle Content Threads. And it's a collection of blues that you will get. Oh, that sounds so good. That is such a generous prize. Thank you, Bridget. <laughs> Okay. And so now as we wrap up, Bridget, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation today? I think there's a couple of things that I would like them to take away. One is, is in the world of quilting and sustainability is to not put too much pressure on yourself to be everything that sustainability might want to be, to find the thing that works for you in, in your world of your practice, whatever you're doing. And the other thing is to uh, give yourself space to explore and enjoy doing what you're doing. And that's such a great way to end the conversation today. So thank you for that. It has been an absolute delight to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So that was my show with Bridget O'Flaherty. She is passionate about the idea of speaking the conversation of sustainability. And the point here is not to dive into research on a company or product we've mentioned here to prove to us they're not sustainable. It's not to make you feel guilty either. Remember, the definition of sustainability is varied and ever-changing from businesses who give money to boost sustainability in the world to those who won't use anything unless it's sustainable. So it's a huge spectrum. We're striving to keep the conversation open and do better. Our goal here is to make our world better one little decision at a time for the next generation. So I'm so happy to have had her on the show and I really enjoyed sharing her story with you. Now, don't forget, I love to hear from you. So send me a note anytime and please leave a review. The kindest thing you can do for a small creator is share their information and their content with a friend. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.